Good morning. I'm going to start off this morning in John chapter 9. So John 9, 4. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, As long as it is day, we must do the works of the one who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Let's uh, begin with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for this word. Thank you for what you're doing. Lord, pray you speak and accomplish what you want to do today. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you anoint your scripture, Lord. Pray that that comes through in full effect in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Jesus is talking to his disciples in John chapter 9. He says, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Now that tells us right away, there's a time, there's something we're supposed to be doing, and then there's a time where it's too late. There's a point, we don't have endless amounts of time to do what God wants us to do. There's a point where you, you're supposed to do it, and there's a point where time's up. It's late. It's too late at that point. I'm going to also read Psalms 90, and this is a prayer from Moses. In Psalms 90, verse 12, it says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Number our days. That makes it sound like they're not infinite. Also in that psalm, he talks about, uh, hey, if our strength endures, we may live 70 or 80 years, but then there's a point where we where it ends, where life ends and we're accountable to God. The title of the message this morning is A Sense of Urgency. That's a phrase thrown around, especially if you watch sports, uh, even casually watch sports. You'll hear commentators or something say, well, that person needs to get a sense of urgency. What's it mean? Usually it means that the clock's starting to run low. Time's getting, time's getting short. They better do something. They're behind in the score. Time's getting short. It's time for them to get a sense of urgency and get going. They better, they better do something. That's what I want to talk about today. Do we have a sense of urgency? And, it, and why would we need a sense of urgency? So first and foremost, and hopefully this is not startling news to anybody, but eventually our life, this physical life is going to end. Eventually our physical bodies die. I heard a life insurance commercial the other day. Very sarcastic commercial, probably the most sarcastic commercial I've ever seen, saying, if you're immortal, you, you do not need the following product. So if you, you don't need life insurance if you're going to live forever. And, and the sarcastic part of it being, they went on to say, a lot of us act like we're going to live forever. We don't plan ahead. In this case, they're selling life insurance. They, they want you to realize at some point, everybody, this is something everybody needs at some point, because at some point, our physical body stops. And we know, ever since sin entered the world, this physical flesh, it's a temporary biological machine. Our spirit, our soul, everything, our consciousness, everything about us is eternal. But for now, it's riding around in this temporary earth suit. And this does not last forever. It breaks down over time. And if we, we, as believers, have this wonderful hope that when this suit is, when this time is up, we have, we have eternity in heaven to look forward to. We have a glorified body to look forward to. 
we have ruling and reigning with Christ to look forward to. That's great. That is a great hope to look forward to. But what about those that don't know Christ? Maybe they've heard and rejected, or maybe they've never heard at all. And I want to tell you that society looks different today. Our country, our communities, they look different today than when I was a kid. They've changed a lot in our lifetime. I didn't even have this in my notes, but I think I need to share it. Bear with me as I share off the top of my head, but it's something that has been stuck in my mind ever since I looked at it. Past 20-something years, I've shared this before, but you look back, so before that, you go back to the late 30s, the late 1930s, when a lot of research and things began to happen, and you look from there to the late 90s, in the United States, over 70% of people regularly attended church. And Pastor Chad commented on this this morning, preached a great message this morning, Henderson. I recommend you listen to it. But over 70%, close to 75. You're talking three out of four Americans went to church regularly between 1930s and 1990s, and there was hardly any decline in those decades. A lot happened in those decades, but there was very little decline in that. From the end of the 90s, to pre-pandemic, it dropped to under 50%. That is a big change. And then when you start talking, and that's pre-pandemic, that's 2019. It's dropped dropped even more since then. So there there are a lot of people, and you say, well, that's just church attendance. There are a lot, there's a generation that has grown up in this country, has not, many have not heard the gospel or have never properly understood it, never heard it correctly. They've heard about church. We've had adults come in who have never, we've had, who visit here. This is the first time I've ever been to a church. And it's kind of like somebody, okay, yeah, I'll incriminate myself here a little bit. I, as someone who has grown up in church, you almost take it for granted sometimes. But you think, somebody who's never been to a church before. That's a lot more common now than it used to be. They've never had a chance. They may not even walk into a church. They may not even want to walk into a church. You may know people, your friends, families, neighbors, coworkers, who have never heard the gospel. And you might be the only access they have to it. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, a sense of urgency Say, oh, we we got to make the most out of this life. No, we have the hope of heaven and eternity. So as far as us trying to have fun or trying to do, make the most out of our lives or do, oh, that's that's not really our priority. Because Jesus says, well, it's day while while we while we are awake in this life, we have work to do, and we have the peace of knowing we die or Jesus comes back. We have we have a bright future. But what about those that don't know them? What do you? Someone needs to tell them. Someone needs to at least give them the chance, and that's that's us. So revisiting John nine again, that's where he says, "As long as it's day, we need to do the work of Him who sent me." What is this work? And I kind I kind of went through, and I could make a big uh, definition and. 
just keep it simple. We know God gave the Jesus gave us the Great Commission, right? Go into all the world, preach the gospel to everyone. So without overcomplicating it, I want to simplify it as much as I can. We need to share the gospel with everybody. What is the gospel? And that's something that we want to make sure very personally in, in Wellspring that we are doing as much as we can to equip people to be able to say and share what is the gospel. And that's something, that's, those are things that we're, we're going to work on and are working on. But as simple as I can come up with, gospel is everybody is a sinner. It's not that you don't have to do something horribly bad to end up in hell. We naturally, our natural state is we're on our way to hell unless something changes. And that is very shocking to a generation that has been told. I saw someone put a great quote out and they said, it's the gospel is weird to a generation that's told you're perfect the way you are. Everybody must accept you the way you are. You are perfect just like you are. And the gospel sounds very strange to ears that have been told their whole lives. You're you're perfect the way you are, and then they hear a gospel saying, no, all of us are sinners. And apart from Christ, we all, when we die, we go to hell. What What is that? We go to a place that's separate from God for eternity. It's, it is hell. It is something to be dreaded. It's something to be afraid of. We have... This reality we live in right now, the way it is, a lot of a lot of people are dying, don't know the Lord. And it used to be in our country, it used to be that everybody had heard about Jesus. They might not belong to him, or they might not accept him, but you could pretty well it was it was rather ubiquitous. You look at writings from the past and it's assumed that you know Jesus, it's assumed that you knew something about the Bible especially around the founding of our country, first first, many, many decades, you went to school, you learned from the New England Primer, which was you learned to read by scriptures. The New England Primer was took each letter of the alphabet and had, uh, had a, a key person from the Bible or a key verse, and that's how you learned the education system was built on the Bible. So you... Tended to expect everybody knew something about the Bible. Everybody knew Jesus, or at least about Jesus. We can't assume that anymore. It's not like that in our culture any longer. We now live in a country less less than half, and now you'd have to wonder if even a quarter, based on some of the stats, regularly attend church, and plenty of people have never never heard the gospel in a way that even made sense or was accessible to them or at all. Oh, they, the only time they hear the name Jesus is when someone is using it as profanity in a movie or TV. They, or that's all they've ever heard of Jesus. They don't know what's the what's the point of that name. What what does it mean? And the gospel is that on our own we're doomed, but God came, paid for our sin rescued us, gave us a way to reconnect to him and not be separated from him in torment forever. And we would need to share that. It's not always easy. It's not always popular. We need to share that. 
Okay, we know we have to share. We we know. Okay, we agree. We need to share that. Do we have an unlimited amount of time to share that? That's where I want to get to with this sense of urgency. Do we just have forever? Just well, I just kind of casually share people like kind of along the way. And the answer is no. We have a limited amount of time. When we talk about numbering our days, when we talk about there's a time, a daytime to do work, and there's a time where it's too late. It means we don't have unlimited time. And I think, first of all, our first answer that a lot of us would think would be, well, yeah, we, we know we, have a, we don't have uh, forever to share the gospel because at some point Jesus is coming back. And that is very true, and that is imminent. When we say a term, theological term, imminent return, means Jesus could come back at any time. And that is true. And that's very good news for us. And thankfully, there's, there's hope we see after, even after the rapture, people getting saved, although it is a horrible time on the earth, but people still getting saved. And that's great. But you say, well, uh, we still have time until then. We don't, we don't know when, but you know, not something we can control or anything like that. But people are dying every day. Somehow this kind of gets, I think we get lost on that sometime, realizing that there are people slipping into eternity every day. Give you, an, give you a general idea. In the United States, daily basis, about 9,500 people die. Almost 10,000 people die every day in the United States. That's a lot. That's a, their, their time on this earth is done and their soul's going somewhere. You look at the entire world, it's about 165,000 a day. That's a lot. Our planet's population didn't used to be this big, but we have a large, give you an example, back in the 1800s, around the year 1800s, the first time that we know of that we reached a billion people on this planet. Now we have close to 8 billion. The number of people dying every day is huge. And we can kind of become numb to that when you just see the news and it's somebody you don't know or the people around you and, and it might not be your friends or your coworkers. You can almost become kind of numb. We can become like that life insurance commercial where you think, well, everybody lives forever, right? And that's how we act. Everybody, we don't think about death, uh, how imminent it is. For us, we don't have to fear it as believers, but doesn't it do something to you when you think of the lost people around you? And you think, what's going to happen to them? And we don't know when their, when their life's going to end. We don't know where our, when our own life's going to end. We don't know when theirs is either. Someone said uh, they gave an average number of the people that die in the U.S. around 9,500. And they said most people don't know when they wake up that that's their last day. And that really made me think a little bit. Most people don't know the morning they wake up on the day that they die, this is their, this is their last day. So what do we do about that? And it made me think, you know, we think about the, almost Jesus coming back is kind of a cutoff point, but if he if he did not come back tomorrow, there are still thousands and thousands of people that will die and either meet him or perish. 
And that's every day. So let me show, let me share with you a personal story. So back a few years ago, interesting thing about that now, it's already been six years ago, but Tracy and I were in an apartment building that caught on fire. So about 5.30 in the morning, I'm hearing this knocking on my door, and it wakes me up. Persistent knocking. What is this? What is going on? I hear another faint noise in the background. It turned out to be the fire alarm in the hallway, but I couldn't tell that at the time. I wake up, and who, who, somebody knocks on your door, aggressively knocking on your door, 5.30 a.m., you're kind of like, I'm not very happy about this. Like this, somebody's waking me up, and is this, you know, is this, is this trouble? Is this somebody being, being uh, annoying or some mean practical joke? Or you know, you kind of get upset. Somebody, well, who, how dare somebody knock on my door five thirty a.m. in the morning? What, what are they doing? Then you look through the peephole, and it's a firefighter in full gear, knocking on your door. Suddenly, things have changed. Suddenly, you open the door, and, and he's, he tells you, "We got a fire in here. You got to get out." Very quickly grabbed, think, grabbed a couple of handfuls of things and ran out, ran outside. We go out the front door, turn around, and there's already 10 foot flames coming out of the roof of the third story. He didn't know anybody was in that apartment, but he was going to make sure that if there was somebody, he was going to get them out. He was determined, and it could have been, it could come across as rude or it could come across however. But he was going to make sure some, if there's anybody in that apartment, they need a chance to get out of here before this building burns down. He had a sense of urgency about it, and he was, he's going to, I'm really thankful for that. I'm very thankful. He was like, okay, we're, we're on the bottom floor on the back side of the building. Nobody knew for sure we were there or not. But there was a guy who was going to make sure that he checked, make sure he gave the, he gave people in that apartment a chance to get out of there. Because there was an imminent threat of that fire. That's what I want to have more of in my life when it comes to talking to to family or coworkers or people that I know that don't know the Lord, or at least making sure that they do. Maybe they do, and we just haven't talked about it. But there's a there's a. I was thinking about that. That's where this message came from. Was thinking about that firefighter and going. Shouldn't we be more like that? Shouldn't we be checking and saying, hey, I got to check, make sure you're okay, because there's an imminent, death is imminent, could happen at any point. Jesus' return could happen at any point. I got, I just got to check, make sure you've had a chance to get out. Can't guarantee that they'll respond, but you got to give them a chance. I remembered a quote, and this was from back a ways, and I, I didn't, when I started to look for it, I did not expect to find it, but I did. This is a quote from a very staunch atheist. Uh, he's actually, you may know, Penn, Penn Gillette. He's part of the, uh, the stage act, uh, Penn and Teller. Pretty famous. Penn Gillette's a very outspoken atheist, uh, but he was sharing a story. He was doing an interview and he shared well, I'm going to, the quote I'll read to you, but he, after one of his shows, uh, a guy who had been up on stage with him offered him a little Bible and talked to him a little bit. And Penn had no problem with that at all. He said this person was very nice. He was clearly sane. He wanted to share this with me. And he, he Penn said, I'm, I'm still an atheist. That one person's not going to change my mind. But I thought it was very nice 
that he took time to talk to me. And, that, and he was nice about it. He's polite about it. He offered me this little New Testament Bible. Um, and he said this, I've always said I don't respect people who don't proselytize. For clarity, proselytizing is when you're sharing your faith with someone with the goal of them converting to your faith. It's a technical legal term, but it is a correct term. It's when you're you're sharing you, you want somebody to convert to what you believe, proselytizing. He said, I have always said I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect them at all. If you believe there is a heaven and hell and and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think it's not really worth telling them because it would be socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them? He went on to say, he, gave, he, offered, he gives this example when he's sharing this. And again, this is a staunch atheist who has no interest at all, but he just can't, can't wrap his head around believers not sharing their faith. If I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you, and you didn't believe it, that truck is bearing down on you, there's a point that I tackle you. And this is more important than that. So he's saying... Hey, even as an atheist, I see a truck heading for you, and and you don't believe it. There's a point where I where I'll I'll attack. It. I'll I'll make an effort to make sure you know there's a truck there coming for you. And so this this matter of eternal life, this is bigger than that. I want to have that sense. I I want personally. I want to share it with you, but I personally I want that sense of I be, I believe so much that I'm going to make an effort people around me to at least to to tell them. And it's become very socially awkward in our culture. But we we still need to. You might be somebody might you try to pull you pull someone out from in front of a truck, it, they might think it was rude that you pulled them out from a, under the truck, but there's a point where they'll appreciate it if they realize it. If they really accept the reality of it, they'll be glad that you made it socially awkward to try to to try to rescue them. It was socially awkward for that firefighter to beat on my door at that early in the morning, but it doesn't matter when you realize the stakes, how important it was. Now, I will share this, because as soon as I, if I'm going to encourage you to witness to people, we also have to be real about our expectations, because not everybody will accept. Some who do accept may not stick with it. Jesus shared, this is the this is what I'm going to read is Jesus' explanation to the disciples of the parable of the sower. So Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to read a lot, lot, large part of Matthew chapter 10 is the parable of the sower. So somebody goes out, he sows seed, and it falls. some falls on this really hard path. Some falls among thorns. Some falls on, I'll read through the, the rocky ground, and then some falls on good soil. And afterwards, he explains to his disciples what this means. He says in Matthew ten eighteen, Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, okay, so that's what we're talking about, the gospel. We're talking about the message of the kingdom. 
and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in their hearts. This is the seed sown along the path. He uses an analogy of a hard ground. Sometimes people hear it, don't get it, and then he takes it away. Verse 20, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they fall away quickly. Sounds a lot like the word this morning in Henderson, talking about roots being tangled together. Help to will help to hold you in place. The seed falling among thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, make it unfruitful. This is what, it's so easy to look at the path and say, okay, somebody didn't get the word and, and, and missed it. And then you look at the good soil, but these other two in between, they're, hard, they're a little harder to wrap my head around. But, they're, but they happen. I've seen them happen. You see someone receive it with joy. We get very excited when we see someone receive the word with joy, and then they are either distracted by the things of this world or they fall away because of trouble or d- discouraged. And it, it's hard to deal with because sometimes we like to tally up how many people we've seen get saved, and then you realize how, how many fall away afterwards. That's hard. It says in verse 23, But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. That's what we want to be. Right in there it says, Seed that ends up in good soil produces more than what was sown. Well, how? Because the person who receives also spreads it and shares it with others. The believer also is, is then going on and produces a harvest bigger than just themselves. Notice that second one, that third one, excuse me, around the thorns. They hear the word, but the things of this life choke it out where they don't become fruitful. They don't produce a harvest. They don't tell other people about it. The one that is on rocky soil receives it with a great joy, but then doesn't have a root, so doesn't stick with it as soon as there's trouble, persecution. I've seen that happen. Uh, just share a quick story. I, I knew I saw a case where a new believer was extremely involved in church, and people were getting real, oh, so excited, and I felt to share with him this and just say, make sure, to make sure when some of this excitement wears off, that you have a real root and that you're actually connected and that you're actually growing. And he didn't really like that very much that I said that to him. And later on, I knew the people who he's going to church with. They're like, yeah, that guy just collapsed. That guy, that guy just imploded. He was very excited, and then he was, just, he was gone. And we need to make sure, this is a little, dis- a little distant from my message, but we want to make sure the emphasis is, yes, we want to share the gospel, give them a chance to get saved, but we also want to do best we can to connect with people, and we also need to stick with it even when we see people fall away. A friend of mine shared, he said, 
his seminary degree, he said, seminary did not prepare me for how much of my effort was not going to produce fruit. And they never taught me how much of the seed that I scattered was not going to, and very discouraging. So as we're going through, I, I, could, I could try to hype you up until you witness to somebody, and that's great. But I also need to brace you for, and, and myself as well, for those times where you do see someone seems to accept it and then falls away, because that can be so discouraging. We need to stick, we still need to stick with it. That's managing the expectations. Because we realize, even when that happens, and we just feel like, what's the point? Why am I putting myself out there if even when someone gets saved and then they fall away? You still got to try. There's still that next person that needs to hear about the Lord. Some will accept. Some will some will accept and fall away. Some will persecute. Some, some will reject. Some will reject, and some will reject very hard and persecute. But as long as it's day, as long as we still have an opportunity to do God's work, we still got to stick with it. Something we talked about a few weeks back that was, I believe, very encouraging. It's not your responsibility to force someone to be saved. As much as I like uh, Pendulette's analogy there, that truck coming, I, I don't know how to tackle somebody into salvation. You've got to give them a chance to receive it, but there's not really a way to actually tackle somebody into the faith or drag them into, can't really drag somebody kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God. At some point they have to accept it. It is our responsibility to share it, but it is not our burden to carry to try to force somebody to get saved. Because you, 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 because you can't. And you will get discouraged. You will get burned out. You will get tired trying to do that to the point where you say, I'm supposed to be spreading the seed. Beyond that, I can't for, I can't force them to. I want to be, I want to be persistent. I want to make sure I want to have that sense of urgency like that firefighter had that I've at least checked, but there's a point where I can't force, can't drag them into it. Share with also in Matthew chapter 10. There's a point where Jesus has sent the disciples out and he's saying, He gives them instructions of how to go and minister. Go out to the towns, go to stay at a house, preach. And there's a point where he's saying, If they reject you, to shake the dust off your feet and that it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than that town. Because he had given them such power, because there was such a such an anointing there, it was a very serious thing for that town to reject them. To the point he tells them to shake the dust off of their feet. And I heard somebody, a missionary to the Middle East, comment on that. He was a missionary to to Iran, and he had he's like people tell me all the time, why do you even bother? If this, this world. That culture, this world has rejected God. Just shake off the dust off your feet and let them perish. And you might think, well, yeah, that maybe that makes sense for that culture. There are people that feel that way about our American culture that say, just shake the dust off your feet. Don't don't bother. And his response really stuck with me. He said, "Don't we have to have some dust on our feet before we can shake it off?" 
yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You have to actually have some, you have to actually have tried before you can say, say, forget it. You can't just say, well, this culture, just, they're on the way to hell and just, just, just let them. The implication was in order for, in order for you to shake your, shake the dust off their feet when they've rejected it is that you've actually given them a chance to hear the message. You've actually done work. You've actually gone out. You have some dust on your feet because you've tried. Not because, well, I didn't try. Didn't even give them a chance. That can be a tough thing. That's very key. There's also the point in that message where you realize you may have tried and tried and tried with the same group of people, and there's a point, and I would suggest praying about it, but there may be a point where God says, I, I don't want you to keep hitting your head against a wall with, this, with one group. I want you, we don't want to miss opportunities with other people because we're focused on those who are, who are, who are just not interested. And there's a point that you don't want to miss opportunities at the expense of other people just because you keep, because you have it in mind to keep being persistent with others. There is a point where I've shared and I'll still be there for them. I'll still try, but I've got to be able to move on to other people and not just get stuck with, okay, this one person and this one group of people. There's, there's so many souls out there. We need to be, spreading the seed of the gospel as much as we can. So what is this going to look like then? How do we get a step? And I'm going to go ahead, uh, Ryan, if you want to get ready to come back up, I'll be closing here soon. What's it look like? How do, how do we practically apply? What is the, what's the practical challenge to go forward with this? And let me tell you, I am not an overly outgoing person. So if you're hearing this and you're thinking, I don't know how to reach out to people, I'm with you on that. This is not a condemnation on you, shame on you kind of thing. This is a, yeah, I, I get what it's like to not necessarily be an outgoing person. I do believe God can give, gives us opportunities and we can share when we need to make an effort to. It may be, Going out to lunch with your coworker and starting to build a, a friendship with them. It may be, may be opportunities. Uh, we we have done some door to door things. A lot of times that hasn't been very fruitful. But sometimes uh, walking around, I know some of us have had some success walking around a park and you strike up a conversation with somebody who wants to talk to you. And there's opportunity there. It could be the family member that. Yeah, you know, I just kind of always, always meant to get around to, to talking to them about God. Always meant to kind of get around to it. Just want to encourage a sense of urgency. It, it might be sooner, you might need to find that opportunity sooner rather than later. Talk to them about God. You've kind of wondered where they are with God, what they think. Now, let's get to it. Let's get a, let's get a sense of urgency. Let's at least talk to them. And you think, ah, I don't know that they might think I'm being rude. I'm kind of, you're like that firefighter knocking on that door. Rude's kind of, we're kind of past the point of rude, being worried about being rude. You need to knock on that door and make sure somebody's in, not in that apartment that might be about to burn down. 
And then you get past that, I'm worried about being rude thing to the point of, hey, you, you matter, and I want you to know about eternal life. I want to share that with you. So building some relationships with people, breaking out of some of the social awkward convention, actually, hey, let's check on people where they are with the Lord. Let's, let's, let's do that. I want to read, I want to close with 1 Peter chapter 3. Lo- love this chapter. I had to actually, I wanted to like read the whole chapter. I had to slim, slim it down to, as, a, as a closing verse. But in your hearts, verse 15 of 1 Peter 3, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So what's he saying? We need to be prepared when people ask us, why do you have hope? Because look around our culture a little bit. That same time period that I talked about earlier of the late 90s to just before the pandemic, that how much church went down? Suicide rate went up by 35% during that time. Huge increase in suicides during that same period. Our culture's lost. They need us. They need us to say, hey, this life, this life's temporary. You're in trouble. I got to check on you. You might be surprised how open people are. Because not everybody walks around telling you how hopeless they feel. You might be that person that just the fact that you actually, that person like uh, the man that Penn Jillette was referring to, at least that person, he said that person was kind and he actually believed what he says he believed enough to share it. And he, you, you might be surprised the positive response you get. Yeah, there might be some negative response, but you might, you might be surprised how open people are I think there's more hopeless walking around us than we realize. And you show them actual hope, they could be very grateful for it. So, I'm going to go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Let's worship a little bit. Let's let God speak this word into us. What what are those what are those opportunities he has for us? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. Lord, we have a hope in us and we can be secure in our hope in you Lord and yes you still work on us yes you're still doing things but Lord we give us your heart for the lost give us a sense of urgency of give us that willingness to break through social boundaries confinements help us to be willing to be rude for the sake of saving the lost Lord Speak to all of us, Lord. Give us those ideas, those opportunities. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. I just 
make sure everyone, I really appreciate my church family. I love you guys so much. And uh, this message was a little bit of a hard one to work through, a little bit of a hard one by the grace of God. It was thankfully not too hard to deliver. But I really hope all of us uh, can get get this sense of urgency but also balance it with what it says in First Peter, with the gentleness and gentleness and respect. There is a there's a there's a combination there that's possible. So I'm going to close this in a word of prayer. Um, Lord, thank you so much again for your word. Lord, I ask you bless all of us our way on our way out. Lord, today. Just thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Give us those opportunities. But teach us, Lord, to do, to spread that seed. Teach us to be good sowers, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. One quick word in closing. Those of you watching online, listening to podcasts later, you're thinking, uh, you have peace about death, but I, I don't. I don't know what you mean. I don't understand what you're talking about. There is salvation in Christ. So there is actual hope for eternal life. It really comes down to we we all we realize that we're sinners, we realize we need a savior, we realize that Jesus is that savior. And we believe it. And if you're working through that, you're wondering about that, I ask you to reach out to us. Our website wellspringcwc.com come see us in person whatever you need you're 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 trying to figure that out you're working through that we would love to help you with that we would love to meet you we would love to help you grapple and and come to understand that reach out to us on our website reach out to us come in person be happy to work with you anybody here that needs prayer afterwards don't don't ever feel like rushed or hurried to leave or anything if you need prayer for anything, come up. We'd be happy to pray with you. I want to make sure I always extend that invitation. Everybody knows that's always welcome. Thank you all very much. Appreciate it.